followers to pray the most famous prayer in the world, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he wasn't just teaching us something to be recited in a worship service, as meaningful as that might be. Churches like ours do not do that regularly uh, for fear sometimes that the practice would render the prayer as, quote, meaningless repetition. But it is probably the most important teaching on prayer for God's people in the New Testament in that one sentence, because in that literal sentence, Jesus summarizes his mission in the world for all of us. And it's very significant for us as we begin a new ministry year, so to speak. And we're always serving and all that. But as we begin a new year together uh, in ministry from the fall through, and you know, you know what I mean. Genesis 1 teaches that humanity, male and female, was created in the image of God to reflect his glory throughout the world as they ruled over everything. Remember that first page of the Bible, rule over all. That's kingdom talk. That's kingdom talk. We were created as vice regents of the king of creation. That's who humanity is. That's who we were. That's who we are. That's who we are meant to be. Vice regents of Jesus, the king of creation. We know that when humanity disobeyed God, as recorded in Genesis 3, the kingdom battle began between the evil one and his followers and the seed of the woman, the son of God, that we sang about this morning, who would eventually come to defeat the evil one on the cross and establish his kingdom as God intended from the very, very beginning. We know that he has come. That he has forgiven us our sins. That he has forgiven us our failures in love that we all experience every week, every day, if we have trusted him, that he has forgiven us. But more than that, he defeated the evil rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, having triumphed over them through the cross, it says in Colossians 2. And he has inaugurated and, or initiated that kingdom that the apostles went around preaching about after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. But he inaugurated that in the midst of the kingdom of the evil one whose sentence has not been yet carried out. And so, the scriptures say, we struggle. And not against flesh and blood. We struggle. And we struggle in many different ways, in small ways and in large ways. We struggle with ourselves. We struggle with our minds. We struggle with our hearts. We struggle with other people close to us. We struggle in our jobs, in our families. We struggle. But we're reminded that it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. A heavenly struggle that manifests itself in our earthly relationships and battles. So instead of love and justice and beauty, shalom, we've heard that word a number of times these last several weeks, Instead of those kingdom realities that should characterize our relationships and communities, we all experience measures of distance, 
injustice, ugliness, slavery, selfishness that characterize not just us as individuals, but our communities and societies here and around the world, and more so where the gospel has never taken root. And so Jesus comes and tells us first to pray that his kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A one-sentence prayer that sums up our mission. But that's not just for the future. That's now. He's initiated it now. And wherever the gospel of the kingdom invades, it can transform and give people a taste of the future. And that's what we heard several weeks ago regarding our guest speaker, our pastor from Hanoi, where 500 churches came together from Vietnam and gave the people of Hanoi a taste of the future to thousands. Because the gospel, the gospel touched them and gave them a taste. Secondly, he tells us to seek first his kingdom and his justice and his righteousness. Those kingdom realities of shalom, his love, his justice, his beauty, total well-being in our individual relationships and our communities. He tells us to pray for it, and he tells us to seek it with all of our hearts. And for us, wherever we serve, and we're all involved in serving, my friends, what that's what we're called to, whether it's in a formal program here at the church or whether it's when you go back to your homes or whether it's when you go to your jobs, wherever it may be, we are called to serve one another in love. That's the marching orders for all of us. Wherever that may be, that's our kingdom mission, to help people flourish and to give them a taste of the kingdom, a taste of the future for all of us. In the weeks ahead, we're going to be focusing on seeking that kingdom and cultivating the kingdom values that we've expressed as values of our church. We'll talk about kingdom leadership values. We'll talk about seeking the kingdom through adversity when, Lord willing, Joe Mellon will be in for a couple of weeks and he'll share about his experiences. We'll talk about, kingdom leader, we'll talk about the kingdom in worship and prayer and seeking him and, and cultivating a culture of worship and prayer. We'll, we'll talk about nurturing those values in our communities and obviously reaching out in our communities to let them taste the kingdom. The shalom that we have experienced and all of that centered on the scriptures and on the gospel. So where do we start? Well, tomorrow is Labor Day. A day to rest, day of rest, to celebrate our work. And our work, I don't know how many of you think of Labor Day like this. Do you, look at it as a, do you really look at it as a celebration of your work and the ability to work? How many here would say they do that? Oh, thank you, Shaddam. <laughs> Our work should be celebrated no matter what it is. Because our work, wherever that may be, in God's eyes, and we should know, is much more than a paycheck. 
Our work is a reflection of a working God and the means of his work in the world through the way we work and the way we love others in our work, giving people a taste of the kingdom, of shalom through that. What a high calling for every single person here, from the person who works at home, who works with their grandkids, who works with their children, who stocks shelves, who writes computer programs, who's in the hospital, who digs ditches, and who washes dishes, (laughs) to the person who cleans streets and does landscaping, no matter what. Martin Luther King would say this, and I love this. Martin Luther King Jr. said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so so well that all hosts of heaven and earth pause to say, here lives a great sweeper who did his job well. And I would add, and reflected God well. But we cannot do that as God intends without rest. Physical, emotional, and spiritual. So for the rest of this Labor Day Sunday, I would like to share some thoughts about Sabbath rest from the Old Testament and New Testament. Sabbath. It is an enormous topic. I'm going to share about three books with you later on. But it's enormous. It's enormous. So just a few thoughts. First, the definition. What is the Sabbath? Lynn Babb, in her book, Sabbath keeping describes it this way, a weekly day of rest and worship, a day to stop the things that occupy our work days and participate in activities that nurture peace, worship, relationships, celebration, and thankfulness. And we'll notice, we'll notice, no small thing, we imitate God through Sabbath. And also, Sabbath is an attitude of heart, an attitude of rest that hopefully, as we've come here and sung and all, we've been nurturing that, that rest in God. The first place in the Bible where we see rest mentioned and that will help us in the meaning of Sabbath rest is right after the creation. So in Genesis 2, at the very beginning of the chapter, right after we have this beautiful account of the Lord God creating the heavens and the earth and all the six days of creation, we read this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And later on, when the commandment to keep the Sabbath is given, reference is made to this. So we have to ask, what was God's rest all about? It wasn't because he was tired. It wasn't because he had to take a nap. But it's very important what we, what we see that because it becomes also the basis for ours. We call it the rest of achievement. The satisfaction and delight of looking at all his creative work and seeing that it was, how did he describe it? Very good. Beautiful. Magnificent. In fact, it says in Exodus 31, 
when, when he's comparing our rest to his, it says that God rested and that he was refreshed. Now, how could God be refreshed? There are, those are terms that help us to understand that God, they call them anthropomorphic. They, they're, they're terms, they're human terms that help us understand God. God was refreshed as he saw everything and the beauty of his creative work. It doesn't mean God stopped working. That's important. Jesus said, my, fa my father is always at work and I too am working. But it was this initial work of creation of all the raw materials culminating in humanity, the crown of creation, which reflects his image. And then God rested with satisfaction and delight in all that he had created. So think of the things that you do that you do them, and then you rest and say, oh, thank you, God. It may be decorating your room, cleaning the house, and putting it all in order, and seeing the beauty of your home. It may be writing a beautiful algorithm of a computer program. It may be balancing sheets and making everything work in order. It may be cleaning up the yard and planting flowers and your garden and having it look beautiful. Many, many things. We need to think about it. What that we do in which when we come to the end of it, we rest and we take satisfaction and we delight. That's what God did. So also the Sabbath in the Old Testament was rest from the ordinary labors and work of life, but not inactivity. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath is called a holy convocation or a sacred assembly. That's what it's called. Where there were sacrifices given. Where there was activity, but not the normal activity of the six days of the week. So in the beginning, God blesses this day and sets it apart. He sanctifies it. Sets it apart from everything else as a day of satisfaction and delight. And that is going to look forward not only to the Old Testament Sabbath of Moses, but to our Sabbath rest in Jesus that we begin to experience when we come to Jesus and we hear those immortal words of Jesus that we can never forget and never want to forget. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you will find rest for your souls. We want to look at the associations with the Old Testament Sabbath that will help us understand how God wants us to rest and what it means. So take out your Bibles or turn on your Bibles and, and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Familiar verses, verses 8 to 11. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
So the Sabbath commandment is based on God's uniqueness and sovereignty in creation. It was a day of remembrance to delight and be satisfied in their creator and his beautiful work. A remembrance that distinguished them from the polytheistic nations surrounding them. And it reminded them that God sustains the world whether or not I lift a finger. It reminded them and us that God is infinite, that we are finite, that God is powerful, that we are weak, that God is self-sufficient, and we are dependent on him. And remember, we're dependent on his provision. Remember, that was an agricultural society where their livelihood depended on their sowing and their harvesting. And he's telling them, one day a week, I don't care what season of the year it is, one day of the week, you stop. You cease from that harvesting. You cease from that sowing. And you, depend, and you remember I'm the one who provides for you. And Sabbath, incidentally, here we see it. Sabbath was for the whole community, slave and free, Israelite or foreigner. All were equal before God to celebrate this. That was enormous in that day. All were equal before God. And we see in the progressive revelation, we see as God revealed himself that he was raising, raising the plight of all humanity even within the cultural institutions of the day that still had slavery and where, and where women were still treated in different ways. It was for everybody. So Sabbath reminded all God's people to live in the rest of his loving sovereignty and power. What kind of things remind you of God's sovereignty and power. What kind of things nurture that in your spirit that bring you to rest? For me, when I stand on the beach and the, uh, the ocean and you see the vast, enormous expanse of the ocean and the waves coming in, and it's just, especially when there's no one else on the beach, and you're just there. Or when you watch an enormous kind of thunderstorm and wind and rain and lightning, the kind that we all fear, but you know God's in the storm. And some people have said, if we want to nurture something of the greatness and the sovereignty and the enormity of God, somehow or another, it's also going to be connected to nature. And the scripture indicates that. We need to connect with nature, not as nature being God. We need to connect with nature as being an expression of the enormous power and creativity and beauty of God. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Once again, the Sabbath commandment, but we want to look at verse 15. Why? Why should you observe the Sabbath? Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Notice here that Sabbath observance is commanded because God redeemed Israel from slavery. Now, do you see the connection? 
Their remembrance was to take delight and satisfaction in the mighty hand and outstretched arm of God who rescued them. A whole day of remembrance of a God of justice and love who saw their plight and saved them from slavery. What nurtures that in your life besides a communion service? What nurtures that in your life? First thing that came to my mind years ago, about our third, second, third, fourth year, I forget, in Italy, in Milan, we would go down regularly on Saturday nights to do sketchboard preaching. You set up a sketchboard and just, it was, it was, it was one of the funnest times there. But you have to get the picture there. It was a big, it was the, it was the Piazza Duomo, one of the biggest piazzas in Italy, and one in, in, in front of the second largest cathedral in the world. And on a Saturday night, in one corner, you had the fire eater. And he was, you could smell the kerosene from him eating fire. And, and he, would do that to, he would do that with a stereo blaster eating fire to the theme of Rocky. That's what what I heard every Saturday night. And there would be about 200 people surrounding him. And in another corner of the piazza, there was a guy playing the guitar, croning out old Beatles songs with his guitar case open so that he could get something. And then we would set up in front of the Duomo, the third third ring of the circus, and, and try to time our designs so that when the fire eater was done his act, the people would just migrate over, which they did. And so, so Saturday night was just a blast, and it was the opportunity to preach the gospel. And the thing that hit me, there were literally thousands of people down there all the time. And I knew that for the most part, these were thousands of people who had no idea of the grace of God. And that why would I be there? What nurtures the fact that God loved you from before the foundation of the world and brought you to know him? Or is moving in you? If you're here this morning you're not even, and you're seeking, you're on a journey, know that he's calling you. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. I'm going to read from verse 11 to 14. Beautiful verses. And the Lord will, Isaiah 58, verse 11. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways and and from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is a passage that looks to the future. 
Looking forward, Sabbath rest points to delight and satisfaction in a world set right where God's people will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. They will be called a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of streets and dwellings, characterized by joy, riding on the heights and feasting on the inheritance in God. That is looking to a world of justice and restoration, my friends, that we all long for. For which, and for which that's our certain hope. But we don't see that yet. But that future Sabbath rest in the consummated kingdom when Jesus comes is our kingdom calling now wherever God has placed us, to steward our whole life in seeking first the kingdom of God, giving our neighbors a taste of the future day which we have already tasted if we know Jesus. And the first thing that came come to my mind of that in terms of what might that look like was about our third year in Italy. You'll see in a moment that today is this morning for Italy stories. Third, about our third year in Italy, Diane, during the summer, when kids have nothing to do and they roam the streets, and our, uh, the church plant that we were involved in was on, a street, was on a street known for its heroin factories and its prostitution, and, and it, was, it was like a block that was like a, you would call it a ghetto block. And we, Diane wanted to offer, we wanted to, we wanted to offer a Bible club for the kids, and the Bible club was called Ora Felice, or Happy Hour. We wanted to offer the children a happy hour. Not like the happy hour that we know. And on the day that it was the start, the very day that it was the start, first day, there was an enormous police raid of something like 55 cars in which they were doing an enormous roundup of the people that they were targeting in the heroin factories and all in, in that whole area. And there were police cars everywhere. And we were able to go from door to door and from, and because it was, they were all apartment complexes. And we were able to go and say, what do you want your children participating in? That or something wholesome? And to our knowledge that Bible club is still going to this day offering hope. And we saw people come to know the Lord through that. And it was the kids on the streets who may or may not have had parents who loved them. But it's offering hope. It's offering them a taste of the future. And that's what we're doing. Offering a taste of the future. And then we come to the fulfillment in Hebrews chapter 4. Familiar verses in Hebrews chapter 4 where it says, For we who have believed enter that rest. And verse 9, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Hebrews 4 verse 3 and 9 and 10. Finally, since Jesus has come, people are exhorted to enter God's Sabbath rest through belief in the gospel. And only as we rest with delight and satisfaction in Jesus' work of redemption do we have the grace and power to love 
God and others as we are commanded, only as we rest in him. Our work of all kinds, which are expressions of seeking God's kingdom and justice, must begin with our gospel rest. And this summer, we were reminded that all summer long of the rest and the freedom that we have in the love of God and Jesus that we studied in Romans 8. Rest for our souls in Jesus, in the gospel, is the growing awareness and freedom of living in the love of God from which no one and nothing can separate us. And we are to remember that every day, we, are rem- we know that we're to remember that every day and through the day. But in this world, since sin entered, we struggle. And the context of where we struggle most is the ordinary work of life. So in the beginning, from the beginning, with his people in the Old Testament, God wanted them to set aside a day per week for rest with a capital R. And we saw it, that it was a day not only for physical rest, but a day for the rest of delighting in God's creative work for them A day of God's creative work around them and the day of God's creative work in them as he redeemed them, his work of salvation. And not only one day a week, but remember, for them there was a year every seven years and then a jubilee year every 50th year. And not only, but there were seven festivals, most of whom were celebrated in the seventh month. You get the idea that seven is kind of a perfect number. Important number, all reminders, all reminders that when they were to cease, can you imagine not working for a year when that was your livelihood? It was all reminder that God was the God of their provision and that they had to trust him and set that aside and remember who he was, who he is, and what he had done for them. The Sabbath remembrance is so important. Think about it. How often do we need to remember, one, that God is lovingly in control in his dealings with us when we don't understand what is going on? How often do we need to remember that? He's sovereign. He's in control whether I lift a finger or not. Doesn't mean we aren't called to lift fingers. doesn't mean that. But how often do we need to remember that? How often do we need to remember that God rescued us from darkness and slavery and separation from him and that if it were not for the grace of God, we would not be here? How often do we need to remember that we look forward to a better day of joyous rest and complete shalom when God restores all things, particularly when we do not see that restoration happening in our time? Sabbath remembrance for the Old Testament believer as well as us can give us a taste of shalom as we intentionally every week Set aside time to remember God's loving sovereignty, redemption, and future hope. The starting place for seeking the kingdom. And that brings us to Sabbath observance today. Interestingly, there is no New Testament command to observe a Sabbath. And while some believe Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, there is no New Testament teaching to that effect, even though there are similarities and continuities. 
Sabbath rest in the Old Testament was a celebration of delight in God and resting in his work and provision. And it was a Sabbath to the Lord. It belonged to him, the Lord's Sabbath. Well, early on in the first century, in the first century, Sunday became known as the Lord's Day that we see in Revelation 1. It's not said to be a day of rest, but a day of worship, or at least part of the day, when believers would gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which, as Matt reminded us this morning, which points to a world set right, ultimate victory that we sang about earlier, a world at rest, the Sabbath rest of the future. So for centuries in Western society, Sunday was a day of rest and worship established by Constantine in 321 when he shut down the public works and he shut down the court system. Even though our work week is normally Monday to Friday, Sunday has lost that character for many people. And I'm not here talking about reestablishing Sunday necessarily as that. We'll get to that in a moment. But we all, know that we, we all know that we should not work seven days a week. We know that. And I think most of us would admit that we live in the most hurried, harried, sensory and media overloaded, fast information saturated world ever. In 1909, here's the Italian story, an Italian, Filippo Marinetti, composed what is called the Futurist Manifesto, in which he said, we affirm that the world's magnificence has been enriched by a new beauty, the beauty of speed. He was referring to the Industrial Revolution and an increasing technological society. He could not have imagined how it would transform life and culture for good and evil. On the flip side of that, it was 1986, and a McDonald's franchise was coming to Rome adjacent to the Spanish steppes in Piazza di Spagna, an Italian journalist, Carlo Petrini, was outraged. What would fast food do to the food culture of Rome? Would it threaten the local trattorias and osterias, the local dining establishments of the working class? Petrini rallied his friends and community to take a stand against this global industrialization of food and the social and culinary costs of homogenized eating. Instead of picketing with signs, oh, I don't have it with me. Instead of picketing with signs, he armed the protesters with balls of, where is it? To my right. With balls of penne. Penne. With bowls of pasta. And defiantly they, they declared, we don't want fast food. We want slow food. <laughs> and the idea of slow food was born. The Slow Food Manifesto, written by the co-founder of the movement, another Italian, Folco Portinari, wrote... Our century, and this is very important, this is very important. So if you're waking up now, listen. Our century, our century, which began and has developed under the insignia of industrial civilization, first invented the machine and then took it as its life model. Did you catch that? First invented the machine and then took it as its life model. We are enslaved by speed and have all succumbed to the, the same insidious virus, fast life. 
And these are all illustrations of our need for rest. A rest in the rhythm of life, which in the Bible is called Sabbath, which means rest. I'd like to leave you with some ideas and the challenge that if you have not already done so, to cultivate an attitude of Sabbath and a day of Sabbath for our physical, emotional, spiritual well-being, our shalom. I preface this by saying these ideas and principles are not rules, not to be thought of legalistically, and I recognize that for some, Sunday may, may have seemed like a legalistic day of do's and don'ts. Not speaking of that, not speaking of which day. For some, it could be Sunday. For others, no. If you're in the Middle East, it would probably be Friday. Instead, we are speaking of a practice which interrupts the normal rhythm of your work life, outside or inside the home, to nurture worship, peace, relationships, celebration, thanksgiving, beauty, for which God created us and what we have tasted in coming to Jesus and finding rest. And I want to speak of this in terms of engaging and disengaging very briefly. And before I do that, first of all, we have to think of preparation. Don't do it spontaneously. There's an intentionality to this. Intentionality to preparing, just as the Old Testament believers had to prepare for that day. First of all, engage rest. To cease. Not just, it's not just sleep or inactivity, but to inhabit time differently. Without watching the clock. Things you enjoy that reduce stress, but engage rest. Secondly, disengage from productivity and consumerism. One of the purposes of Old Testament Sabbath laws was to remind God's people that God was their provider, not their job. And that when they rested once a week, then every seven years, and then every 50th years, and they didn't do that, God would sustain them. It was a protection against the idolatry of work. And it can protect against a consumeristic mentality that is driven by our delight of a lots of things that we are bombarded with all the time. Third, engage delight. Isaiah talks about calling the Sabbath a delight. Why? The more we intentionally take time to delight in God and one another, the better our perspective on life. Fourth, Disengage technology. Uh-oh. That's a big challenge, if you, if for, especially for you young families, whatever. Great book out called The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. I recommend it to everybody. The TechWise Family, Andy Crouch. Fifthly, engage connection with family, spouses, friends, whoever is close to you. Engage connection. Doesn't mean there's not a time for solitude. Engage connection. Sabbath was for the whole community. The interruption gave time with one another. Sabbath, or whatever you want to call your intentional rest, was God's idea from the beginning and a necessity for us. It renews our present and points to the future. It lets us taste the shalom, God's Sabbath rest that we look forward to. And doing so, it enables us to show that to others because we can only display to others what we ourselves have experienced in God. And if you're interested in exploring more of this, I can send you my notes if you want. I have three books here. Sabbath Keeping, I highly recommend, very simple. Mark Buchanan, The Rest of God. 
And there's one chapter in this book, Life with God, Dwell, Life with God for the World, just one chapter if you're not interested in reading a whole book that's very, very helpful. It's time to rest and enjoy one another at the picnic for whoever can come. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer?